what up? I'm back, boys. For real, for real this time. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. The only podcast on the interwebs that really doesn't have all that much to do with its title. I'm your host, Brandon Harper, and I still sound a little bit sick, but I promise my COVID won't go through the microphone. Today is January 16th, 2022, but more importantly, can I get a drum roll, please? This is my 100th episode (laughs) over the course of like five years, so I'm excited. You're probably not as excited as I am, but that's okay. I once heard a wise man say, you ain't shit till you got 100 episodes. So here I am, five years later, my little podcast, my crappy editing, and my attempt to come here once a week. And I know you're sick of me saying, I apologize for the missed weeks, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, it was New Year's, I had covid Blah, blah, blah. But here I am back. Back in the saddle again. For those of you who are first-time listeners, I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and tons and tons of opinions. So I come here about once every few weeks or a hundred times every five years to get them off my chest. I don't expect everyone to agree with me, and that's okay. We can still be friends. My biggest goal is to teach people how to disagree without being disagreeable because it's a dying art. So while we may be diametrically opposed on everything, there are plenty of topics that we agree on. And if you hate me, then that's fine. Just don't listen. And I don't care what you say about me as long as you spell my name right. If there's one thing you'll know about me, that's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. So sit back, relax, And give me the whip handle for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. freaking song if you don't like that song you know what you ain't black no I'm just kidding (laughs) that's what Joe Biden says I would never say anything like that but really what a classic iconic piece of American history that song is and I picked that song because I came across something very very funny last week and I thought to myself man I've got to share that on the podcast that I do every four or five weeks and what it is is People who are listening to that song for the first time. And, I mean, everyone knows Freebird. At least you think you know Freebird. But there's people out there that were born, you know, within the last 20 years that it sounds old to them or they don't know what to, they don't know what to expect. They didn't grow up around it. Um, a lot of these people grew up in a different environment with different families, and their families didn't listen to that kind of music. So I would highly encourage you to go look up on YouTube and look at reaction videos of people hearing classic American songs for the first time. Freebird was the best one that I found. Stairway to Heaven was also good. And what these people do is they put on their headphones, they listen to the music, you can also hear the music, and then they're just kind of pausing and commentating throughout the song. And what I love was like these guys who, you know, they said, man, all we've ever listened to is rap. We don't know anything about this classic rock. But when they heard Freebird, their eyes lit up, They were jamming, dancing, smiling. One of them like threw off his headphones and jumped up and was like, how have I never heard this? This is amazing. And I was just really cool to me uh, to kind of cross the the music barriers. It's not what you would expect to hear. At least it wasn't what I would expect to hear. But anyway, highly encourage you to go check out some YouTube videos, Reaction to Stairway to Heaven or Freebird, and you'll, you'll have a great time. 
just do it when you need to kill some time. And I've about gotten to the point where I don't spend any time on social media other than YouTube videos. I just feel like it's just getting more and more toxic. You know, every now and then I'll get on Instagram and I'll start scrolling through it. And then like, I don't know, two or three minutes in, I'm just, I get mad. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. There's nothing productive coming from this. You know, you get like a little bit of endorphin release. And I truly hope, I really, really hope that everyone else is starting to feel the same way. Because if we, if we could get out of social media and just push it back, and I understand the value of it. I know that you got to have it for marketing, and I, I get all that. But from an individual perspective, if we could all just step away from it, it would eliminate so many issues. I, I feel like it would eliminate personal issues, the way you feel about certain things, what you feel when you hear a headline or when you see someone give their opinion. And I think a lot of that is negative. It's not good. It's not productive. We don't need that. It doesn't, doesn't add any value to our lives to get upset at someone else's opinion. All we're doing is making these big tech companies wealthy. I'm talking money. And why aren't we getting a cut? If my data is so valuable, if you're making so much money selling people my browsing history and my search history, why don't I get a cut of that? I think it's coming. I do think it's coming. Not sure how long, but people will wise up. Or someone will start making software that doesn't allow any type of information to get passed on. And then all these companies that have been accustomed to having that information are still going to want it. So they're going to have to pay a little bit more than what they've been paying. And I think that the blockchain technology will help direct that to the people who are supplying the information. I'm already on a tangent. Imagine that. First day back in like three weeks, and I'm already talking in circles. My first note is entitled Hammock Rodeo. And just to give you a glimpse into how this podcast works and the production of it, I typically just have a note in my phone with like two words or a phrase. And so the Hammock Rodeo, I think I've mentioned in passing a few times that I'm going to start a little side hustle selling hammocks online. And I ordered some from Nicaragua that are really, really high quality and they're stationary. They're not made to travel or move around. Getting those hammocks was quite the fiasco, which is why I titled it The Rodeo. Getting them to San Antonio was simple, but if you've never imported anything, it's kind of a racket. So you have to have these customs agents, and I don't exactly know. They, like, they have some kind of bond that protects someone if the shipment doesn't go through. Like It's such a cluster, you know what? So... I had to find a shipping agent or customs agent. They had to do the importation of the hammocks, which involves like some paperwork. And then I'm like, well, now I got to go pick them up from San Antonio. So I told these, these customs agents or these brokers or whatever you call them, unnecessary individuals causing headaches is what I called them. And they were terrible to work with. They never answered the phone. They never returned my emails. They didn't call me back. They couldn't give me any pricing. And I'm thinking, this is what you get from a highly regulated, unnecessary industry with high barriers to entry. So if I wanted to be a customs agent, I couldn't just waltz in and with a business card and call myself a customs agent. I've got to have years of experience and pass these tests, know, understand all these codes and these, you know, these classifications of products, which is ridiculous. You know, I don't know how it all got started, but it's grown into a, a, a costly unnecessary part of importing products. I mean, we're talking about freaking hammocks here. Either they got drugs in them or they don't. That's about it. That's about the only thing. I mean, sure, maybe you could put a bomb in there. So they got, if they don't have a drug, I mean, if they don't have a bomb, let them come on. We don't need to have all this formalities and paperwork and bonds. And, you know, if it's under a certain dollar amount, it should be so simple to import things, but it's not. So after the hammock showed up in San Antonio, I spent 10 days sorting out the paperwork and getting them shipped to the brewery. And they showed up. They're nice. I love the quality. I've already been using one of them for me. So, um, yeah, they're going to go up on the website pretty soon. I have some photographers coming by in the next week or so to take some pictures of them. And then I've also ordered about 100 hammocks from China. And these are small, like, packable Nylon, they're made out of parachute material, which is really strong, really light, and pretty durable. So the reason I chose to go with these also is because I bought one of these 
about five, six years ago, maybe even seven years ago. And I've taken it traveling with me everywhere I've gone, and it's still holding up. It's in great shape. So, you know, I thought, I'm going to order some of those too. Half that order has shown up. It took, I want to say like 40 days for them to ship here. So no telling how long they were stationary or sitting in some port somewhere waiting for someone to get over COVID. Or actually, they were waiting for someone to pass a COVID test that hadn't shown symptoms. But nonetheless, I've got half the order I split the 100 hammock order in two and ordered half from one vendor and half from another vendor. That way I could see kind of which one I like best and use the better one next time. So, like I said, I've got half of them. The other half hadn't shown up yet. They're high quality. I think they're going to cost about $25. Um, and, you know, you'll get at least five or six years out of them if you don't destroy them. And, yes, I did look for hammocks made in America. There was not much to be found. I'll be honest with you, there wasn't much. There was a few. They were extremely expensive and terrible quality. And I, I'm just not willing to resell them. So that's that. China number one, Nicaraguan number two. Why do people have such an issue with drug ads? And the reason I ask this is because it's kind of a general consensus that people think drug companies shouldn't be able to advertise. And I don't agree with that. And Here's why. You know what? I may have talked about this before. I probably have. But either way, I'm going to talk about it again. So I don't see the issue. Like, let's back up a little bit and unpack it. You have these drug companies. And while people sit around and scream, go get the vaccine, go get the vaccine, they used to scream F-E-C-K Big Pharma. So they're not really sure if they love these companies or they hate them. It just depends on what's happening around them, apparently. But nonetheless, the people who scream F-U-C-K Big Pharma have a big problem with drug advertising. And they think that it, it causes consumers to abuse drugs or entices them to try a drug they wouldn't try otherwise. And so if we could all agree that drug companies exist to make profits, which I know it's a hard pill to swallow for some of you, but it is a cold hard fact that businesses exist to produce profits for people who own the businesses. And in the case of these pharmaceutical companies, they're owned by the public. They're publicly held corporations, which means anyone can buy little pieces. And so their goal, while, while saving humanity or protecting people from illnesses is a great byproduct, their overall goal, whether they want to admit it, whether they put it in their writing, whether you believe me or not, is to produce profit. And hopefully when they're having their board meetings in their ivory towers, they're saying things like, okay, how can we fix this? And then that's the first question. And the second question is, how can we make it profitable? So we can just hope for things like that. But if you think about it, allowing them to advertise cr creates an increase in revenue. And when they sell more, prices will end up going down. So that's kind of just a byproduct, a positive of the whole thing. But you can't expect a business to operate and compete against other businesses and not have the ability to try to push their product. And it's not a bad thing, and here's why. I have my little dog, Bronco. He's 12 years old. He's been an itchy dog his whole life. He's always had allergies, grass, who knows what it is, but he's always itchy. And I remember, I don't even remember how I came across the ad. I think probably somewhere on the interwebs. An ad pops up. It's like, do you have, do you have an itchy dog? Have you thought about trying Apoquel? And so it's a medicine prescribed by a pharmaceutical company made for animals that keeps them from being itchy. And so I asked my vet, and they said, sure, yeah, I'd be a good candidate for it. Well, first of all, I'm thinking, why have you never told me this? And second of all, I think, okay, let's try it. So I order them. I start giving them to him. And sure enough, it works. He's not nearly as itchy. So in, in my mind, I'm like, that advertisement benefited me. I'm glad that I saw it because I was able to find a product that met a need that I had for a price that I was willing to pay. What's, what's wrong with that? And I think the general response is, well, people just, you know, they get convinced and they go abuse the drugs. And I'm thinking in my mind, chances are they would have found something to abuse whether or not you put that in front of them. So is it fair that we take away the ability, one, for a company to make profit, and two, for the ability to meet the needs of the consumer in order to keep someone, quote-unquote, protected, 
from making a decision on their own or seeking out something that they shouldn't be doing and getting addicted to it and destroying their life. Should we give up the first two in the sake of the third one? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that if you're going to choose to go ask for a drug and you're going to choose to abuse it, that's on you. That's no one's responsibility to protect you from your own bad decisions. And I know you guys get sick of hearing me saying that, but that's really how I feel. And that's how this can be broken down. Like, let them, let them advertise. You know, they give all the disclaimers at the very end. This drug may cause severe heartburn, diarrhea, leprosy, whatever they say. And we're so accustomed to hearing that. But, oh, except for Pfizer and COVID. The COVID vaccination, there's no dis disclosing of possible side effects, which I find highly odd at this point. Actually, no, I don't. Not really. And what are the chances that it actually, that advertisements do more harm than good. Because I feel like the, they do far more good than harm. If you just look at my example, which is anecdotal, I know, but there's, I suspect there's more of those out there than the opposite. Now, I will say, incentivizing doctors to prescribe certain brands of drugs is not a good thing. I don't agree with that. And the reason I don't agree with that is because we can't verify, well, we can't know for certain which doctors have good intentions and which doctors have bad intentions. So when you bring a third party in the mix, it kind of changes things up a little bit because now the doctor is incentivized to give you something that you might not need. But if you do choose to take it and you do choose to get addicted to it, that's kind of on you. I feel like that's kind of on you because number one, you didn't understand the side effects. And number two, you probably took more than what the doctor prescribed you. I don't know for sure, but either way, we have to look at these things on a, on a generalized scale of which happens more frequently. And is it worth people who do things right and follow the rules not having access to something in order to protect the people who abuse them? So that conundrum is the same thing you can apply to things like gun, quote unquote, control or you know, restrictions. Whenever you, whenever you restrict something from someone, in order to help someone, you are by necessity hurting someone else. Speaking of hurting someone else, here's another example of, of regulation that adds to the cost of an industry. And my question is, is it all that necessary? And that's the FAA. And I know there's people out there saying, of course you got to have the FAA. And you know who said that, of course you have to have the FAA that I disagree with? Elon Musk which I agree with him on everything except for a few things. And he was brought up in a different environment under a different structure and a different government. So I understand where he's coming from on certain things. But let's just say for a second that the FAA was never established. And not that we're not going to end it right now. Let's just rewind time and say it never got established. The Federal Aviation Administration. So for those of you that don't know, this is the administration who sets all the laws that planes have to follow and what you have to do in order to fly a plane and the type of inspections you have to have and the type of insurance you have to have and qualifications to operate the plane. And so this huge long list of things that affect the airline industry. And I don't know any of the specifics or any of the numbers, but remember, anytime you have regulation, you add cost because you're requiring people to meet certain guidelines. And there's a cost to that because people may or may not meet those guidelines without the law. And the response from the general public is, well, we can't just have planes running around willy-nilly that are exploding everywhere and blowing up and people that don't know how to fly flying them because these greedy corporations will just run their planes into the ground and fly them to save money and just crash all the time. And my response to that is, no, I don't think so. Companies are in it for the long haul. They're there to make profit. Crashing planes doesn't do them any good. Having planes that explode doesn't do them any good. Having people fly planes who don't know how to fly planes doesn't do them any good. They do best whenever they provide the safest, most convenient, cheapest experience to the consumer that falls within the consumer's threshold of acceptability. So if we could admit that it costs more to maintain a plane to higher standard, we know that there's probably a less likelihood of a failure because of a higher maintenance standard. But what if we could decrease the probability of crashing while making it cheaper or more efficient or faster? Now, someone might say, well, I don't want to save money if there's a chance I'll crash. 
Let's break it down. Let's say that a plane ticket costs you $500. And let's just say, and I'm completely hypothetical here, let's just say that we crunch the numbers and we figure out that if you step on an airplane and you fly from New York to L.A., I don't know what the chances, but I would say it's like less than a fifth of a percent that the plane will crash and you'll die. So let's just say it's 1% for easy math. So one out of 100 planes crash, which is totally way too high. I get it. I understand that. But let's just say that it is. We pay 800 bucks for our ticket, and we know that there's a 1% chance that the plane's going down. Now let's say that the companies come out and they say, hey, we're going to have a separate division now. And our, our second division, there's going to be a 3% chance that the plane goes down. But we could cut the price in half. We can do it for 400 bucks instead of 800 Now, everyone has their own threshold. They, they, get to, they could pick and choose what's worth it. Are they willing to give up a 2% chance of explosion to save 400 bucks? I kind of feel like that decision should be on the consumer. And I completely understand that you can't just end a regulation like this in the middle of, 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 it, of its height or, or of its strength. You know, you can't just stop it. But what we can do is add, rest, add less regulations over time and not regulate industries as highly when they start. Because I truly believe that it would have been bumpy at first. It would have been bad. The airline industry may have progressed a little bit slower, right? Since it would have been more dangerous without regulations, less people would fly, they would be less profitable, they would have less resources to fund new research and development, and so it would slow things down. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with maybe not having the absolute fastest and most efficient and best and cheapest flight right away in order to have it later, because it will happen. There will be a switch. I mean, think about if, what the market would look like if anyone could open an airline and you didn't have to have any licensing, and you could just fly from one airport to the next and charge people money. It doesn't sound unreasonable. It doesn't sound unreasonable. The minute your company makes planes that explode, you're going out of business. You're going to be done. No one's going to fly with you. The minute you have three planes that get hijacked by terrorists, you're going to be done. People will be incentivized to make sure that people don't blow their planes up. And if every airline had their own security team, and that was part of their business model, that they would find the most efficient way to do it, and you wouldn't have Burger King flunkies or people that got fired from a fast food restaurant working at the TSA. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that we end the FAA, so don't think I'm being extreme. I just wanted to show you an example of what, what could happen if we don't regulate things as heavily. From the get-go, it has to start from the get-go. We don't need more regulations. We need less. We need to make it easier to delete laws than it is to put in new laws, and it's not. That's why no one ever deletes laws. That's why we have laws that are way outdated that say stupid things like, every man must practice archery on Sunday. You know, you've heard of those stupid blue laws. Take them away. It should be as simple as pushing a delete button with enough people's approval. Speaking of delete button, I just finished one of the most amazing books I've read in the last three years. It's called Woke Inc. It's all about this whole corporate wokeism movement and how businesses are using their platform or they're, or they're being pressured by people to use their platform to make political statements, social commentary. And it was just the most fascinating book because it really breaks down how it all works, how there's a cost to this, how the author suspects it in the future, this is all going to come back to haunt everyone because there's a thing called ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And corporations now are starting to score themselves based on those three things. And investors who are investing money are looking for companies that have a higher score of that ESG. Now, the ESG is, is I think, in a bubble, and I'm not going to go too far into details uh, on this show about that. But Europe's been doing this for a while. And as I was going through this book and reading it, I thought to myself, man, we're kind of shifting to be more like Europe. And I know that we're still far from it. But if you think of the things that people are starting to want, socialized health care, ESG accountability in public sectors, they want the government to run borrowing and lending. And so 
all these things, all these regulations are the reasons why there was such a huge migrant flee from Europe to the New World. They had seen how the governments operated. They had seen how the economies worked. And they thought to themselves, we don't like this. This is too much centralized power by the governing authorities. We want somewhere where the people are free, free to make their own decisions, their own choices. Even if it's a good choice or a bad choice, we want people to be free. And if you go look at Europe, you know, there's always a trade-off. There's always something you have to give up in order to gain something because money and resources are finite. And so while it looks great from us over here across the pond saying, like how we be or like Norway and Sweden, Denmark, they have socialized healthcare. We're the only first world country in the world to have socialized healthcare for all. And yes, that sounds great. But have you ever been there? No, that's right. You haven't. You don't know what the middle class looks like. The middle class in Europe, they don't have cars. They don't have yards. They don't have gardens. They don't have hobbies. They don't have washers and dryers. If you're lucky, you might have a teeny tiny little washer. You definitely don't have a dishwasher. When Junior, a Wojtek's buddy from Poland, got here, he saw my washer and dryer in the garage, and he thought, this is what he said, holy shit, bro, that is so fucking big. <laughs> I know we don't cuss, I know, but I had to quote him. And he was amazed at how big the washer and dryer were. And I said, Junior, how many countries have you been to where everyone has a dryer in their home. He's like, none, nowhere, ever. USA is the only place that has this. And I know there's people out there saying, well, not everyone has a dryer. My grandmother had a dryer and it broke and she couldn't afford to fix it. But I know, I know, I understand that's anecdotal. Most people have a washer and dryer in their home in the US. And the reason we can do that is because the government doesn't tax as high. So we have a higher disposable income. We have more money that we can choose to do things with. Whereas when the government takes it, in order to pay for things like healthcare, we are left with less. The consumer doesn't have as much in their bank account to go out and buy things like washers and dryers and, and have hobbies and have a vehicle. I mean, in, in all the big cities in Europe or even the smaller cities, you're lucky if you have one car per household. And we have more, we have more cars than humans in most cases. In the, in the middle class on up, more cars than drivers per household. Now, tell me what you would rather have. Would you rather have someone saying, this is your healthcare plan. You have to do this. You have to go see this doctor. I don't care if you like him or not. And, and we're taking this much money out of your paycheck to pay for it. And when you need surgery, you might have to wait. But that's okay because there's other people now that have healthcare that haven't had it before. So we're giving things to everyone. And so you... Mr. Electric Company Union Worker who makes $100,000 a year, now you can't afford a boat. You can't have a second car. You can no longer have a yard. You can't have your garden. You can't go hunting. You can't have a deer lease anymore because you can't afford it because your tax rate just went from effectively 10 or 12% to 40 or 50%. So you know what? It's funny to me. The only people who say this and think that we should be more like Norway are people that have never set foot outside the U.S., other than an all-inclusive resort in Cancun. So before you walk around and scream how our economy should operate, get off of your ass and go to Europe and spend a couple months there. I'm done ranting about that. Just keep in mind, I'm, I'm, not, I'm really not done ranting, I'm still ranting. Just keep in mind, freedom equals choices. Think of it that way. He who has more choices has more freedom. I didn't make this up, I heard it from Junior a Polish homeboy. So just keep that in mind. Freedom is choices. When we take choices away, we take freedoms away. We should be aiming to have more freedom, not less. I know I'm sounding all passionate. I'm all worked up about freedom today. America. Another thing that happens with socially driven movements is that they lead to bubbles. And we saw this in 2008. We had Slick Willie was in the White House or a little bit before. I don't know, my ears get mixed up. But Slick Willie was there, and Slick Willie says, we need to provide more cheap housing to the average Americans. Everybody should be able to own a home in America. We shouldn't just be making landlords rich with their rent money. We need everybody to be able to get a loan. So the banks said, well, if you want us to loan money to people who we've deemed in the past not qualified to borrow money, then you 
Slick Willie, need to agree to cover us if they borrow the money to buy the homes that they cannot pay for. And so the federal government said, okay, we'll do it. And so these banks now, at the direction of the federal government, are making loans they should not have been making, and they knew that. But you had Slick Willie saying, keep loaning them the money. They need to own houses. That's what makes America great. So the bank said, okay, we'll keep loaning money. What happens when there's a huge rush on any product? The price goes up. There's a huge demand for homes because the government said, we'll cover you if you can't pay for it. To these big banks, everyone goes out, starts buying homes. The price of them goes up and up and up and up and up and up. Sure enough, the banks are right. Nobody could pay for them. All the banks fail. They ran to Slick Willie with their palms up. And then everyone gets mad <laughs> at the banks for getting bailed out. I mean, it's such, a, it's such a funny thing. And it was all started by the government making policy based on their emotions, how they feel. We feel like more people should own homes. Well, you feel like that, but people aren't willing to risk losing the money. And they were right. They were absolutely right. And to tie this back into my other comment about the ESG companies, I think the same thing's going to happen. There's these investment firms who are saying, we're only going to invest in companies who, you know, they're really good to the environment and they pay their employees more than they should. And they have a very social, you know, governance system, which is great. You know what? Run your company however you want to run it. But what people are missing is that whenever you, whenever you take steps and you place constraints on your, on your organization, you're necessarily less efficient. And so let me just give you an example. Let's just say there's two companies who make paint, Fred and Bill. And Fred says, look, I know that there's regulations to make paint. I operate my paint-making company within the constraints of the federal law. I don't dump my paint down the drain. I do exactly what I'm supposed to do. Then you have Bill. And Bill says, you know what? I make paint too. Not only am I going to operate within the constraints of the law, but I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to dispose of my paint in a way that's even safer for the environment. It's even better. Well, that sounds great, but what's the difference between the two? One of them costs more to do. And you might be saying, how do you know that? You never made paint before, Brandon. You just think you're a businessman. You know everything about everything. I know what you're thinking. That's not right. I know that it costs less because businesses operate under the guise of efficiency. So unless they, all the paint-making companies just have it, have it in their heart to go above and beyond, the guy who doesn't go above and beyond will have an advantage. It won't cost him as much to dispose of his paint. Even though he's operating under the constraints of the law, and the other people are too, the other people haul their paint off somewhere else and they dump it down some drain to get recycled. And it costs more to do it that way. If it didn't cost more to do it that way, then everyone would do it that way. So the majority is going to seek efficiency. The majority of the companies are going to look for the most efficient way to do things, which means the cheapest under the premise of the law. And the people who choose to go above and beyond must necessarily either charge more for their product and hope that the consumer is willing to pay a little extra, knowing that Bill does a better job disposing of his paint than Fred, or there'll be a lower return on investment. Remember, the money has to come from somewhere. We got to pay for the, the paint dumping either by selling our paint for more or by making less profit. And so... I have a theory that I kind of derived from the book, Woke, Inc., that it won't be long or eventually these companies who are operating under the guise of this higher environmental social governance structure, they're going to go away. Because what's going to happen is that there's investors right now, and they're seeing that these companies that have a high ESG score are having tons of money being thrown at them. Now, what does that mean? That means people are buying their stocks, they're pushing the price of the stock up, there's a demand for it. The investor thinks, oh, wow, the world wants to see, you know, companies with high ESG scores that are in high demand, their stocks are worth more. And that's true. But what's going to happen is one day, they're going to look at their returns. And the value of a stock or the price of a stock is only based on what, how much money they're making and how much money they're going to make in the future. And so... Whenever we see that their returns are less than their competitors who don't have a low ESG score, then the investors are going to look around at their neighbors and he's going to say, oh, man, you know, I made 15% on my, fed, on my hedge fund this year. And the other guy's going to say, 
well, man, I only made 10. Well, I don't know. What happened? Um, well, I invested in all of the ESG companies. And the other guy's going to say, oh, well, I didn't. Well, that's, there, there's a difference, a 5% return. And so now he's got to think to himself, is it worth 5% for me to invest in the companies that are filling to the environment? Or should I invest in the companies that do things the way they've always done them under the premise of the law for a higher return? And that's going to be the question that's going to be asked. I'm of the opinion that the people will say, you know what? Screw these lower returns. I want more return on my money. I'm going to go with the guy who does it by the law, but he doesn't go above and beyond. That's my opinion. That's what I think is going to happen. There's both sides of the opinion are out there, but I'm of the mindset that investors will figure out that they have to accept a lower return on investment if they go with a higher ESG-rated company, and I think that's going to lead to like kind of a, a little bit of a bubble collapse. Just my opinion. We don't have to agree, but we can still be friends. Remember that loony tune Bernie Sanders supporter that shot up all the Republicans playing softball? And I don't remember how many he shot. It was definitely more than one or two. Uh, I think somebody ended up paralyzed, you know, and, and it's kind of a shame that I don't know, but I can tell you exactly what happened on January 6th. The, the Capitol riot parade is what I call it. Nowhere near a riot. You know, and at first, when this first happened, I thought to myself, wow, that's messed up. Let's go after him. Let's figure out who it was and let's get him. They should, we should treat him the same as we do the BLM riots, you know, and I still, I still feel that way. But I will say this, as time goes by, I've become far more skeptical that this thing was organized by Trump supporters or anyone having anything to do with the conservatism movement or the, or the uh, Republican Party. As, as we've gotten farther away from this event, more videos have surfaced, people have been tried, information has come out, and I'm not convinced that someone from the right or of, of any importance had anything to do with this. And, and here's why. I've seen videos of, from inside the Capitol building, and these people are being led. There's always someone like running in front of them, and they're walking, and they're staying in between these, these velvet ropes that you see at like the movie theater, you know, to keep you from going where you're not supposed to go. But if you wanted to, you could just hop right over them or knock them over. But these people who allegedly, you know, going in to cause an insurrection, they were staying within the boundaries of these stupid velvet ropes. I mean, you know, when people were walking through the Capitol, they're walking through and there's four or five feet between them. Well, I mean, you may think like, what does that have to do with anything, idiot? When people are riding and they're rushing, they're all packed in tight. They're all, everyone's in a hurry to get somewhere. They're, they're ready to be violent and destructive. They're not walking three or four feet apart, strolling within the confines of velvet ropes. I also saw a guy outside the gate who's like screaming and everyone said, everyone, come on, let's go, let's run in there. And everyone just kind of standing around looking at him. And I just picture people going like, I don't know, man. We ain't, we ain't supposed to be up in there. We ain't, we gonna get in trouble. He said, come on, you freaking blankety-blank-blanks, let's go! Let's go! And it's now come out who this guy is. We know his name. There's been no pursuit of him. He's never been interviewed. He's, I guess he's in hiding. The Department of Justice claims to, they won't even answer. They, they say, hey, tell us who this guy is. We can't comment on that right now. I mean, it's just, it's beginning to be a bad look. You know, as much as I would like to think a group of mad, angry rednecks stormed the Capitol and went and smashed Pelosi's computer, I don't know. Like, as long as nobody got hurt, I wouldn't care all that much. You know, I don't think property should be destroyed, and I don't think people should be injured. Other than that, if you parade through the Capitol in a stupid Viking hat, okay, you're going to spend some time in jail, but, you know, that's, that's the end of that. So I don't know, between, but so between what I just said, all those things, and how focused the left is on it, I just don't, I don't get it. It tells me they're terrified. They're terrified of Trump and his resurgence and the fact that he may come back in 2024. Like, why are we memorializing a day when people ran into the Capitol? And one person was killed by a cop, which no one has said a word about that. 
There were some other people who died from natural causes. They tried to pin that on the riot that didn't happen. And so here we are. One person's died. They were shot by a police officer. It was an unarmed woman shot by a cop in the Capitol. And so why are we memorializing this? Why are we, why are we bringing it up? I, I'm interested to see how many more years on January 6th we're going to talk about this. Because it's kind of stupid. Nothing big happened. The people who were supposed to get in trouble got in trouble. But they're so scared. They're, they're constantly trying to paint Trump in a negative light because they're scared of him. And if they weren't, they would just let it go and move on to COVID. I don't know. They're showing their cards, in my opinion. Not a good look, Biden. Not a good look, Pasaki. But what do I know? I'm just a dog trainer. In other news, the vaccine mandate was shot down, which I kind of figured it would be. Everyone kind of knew it would be. Um, the idea that the government can require people to take medical procedures in order to keep their job is just preposterous. I would love to hear, I would love to have a conversation with someone who thinks, you know what, that's a really good idea. We should have had that. We should have had, we should have had OSHA enforce that every employee be vaccinated. Like, that's a good thing. I just, I would like to talk to them because I cannot fathom someone saying that and agreeing that's a good thing. A buddy of mine I was talking to about, it, he said, dude, we live in a bubble. We live in a conservative state where people enjoy freedom and they want to do what they want to do. But there's people all over the country who want control. They want us to be controlled. They want to be controlled themselves. And he's probably right. You know, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't go to Oregon and talk to the public there. So I don't know how they feel. But it would just blow my mind for someone to think it's a good idea. Because, you know, we know what I would say. I would say, hey, how many people under the age of 50 do you think have died from COVID since it started? And they would say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I would say, okay. Let me just tell you, under 50,000, and this is a factual number that I got from that ourworldanddata.org, whatever, website. Less than 50,000 people under the age of 50. But what are you saying, that people over the age of 50 don't count? Nope, I'm not. I'm not saying that. But let's look at the population of the working class, the working world. When you're 50, after 50, you don't have a lot of time left in you. Maybe... 15 years, you know, someone works to 65. So I didn't dig up the numbers. I didn't go through the numbers to see what the ages under the, or the deaths under the age of 65 are, but only 50,000 people have died in two years under the age of 50. I mean, that's most of the working world is under 50. Anyone who would be affected by OSHA is under the age of 50. Not anyone, but most, most people. And is it worth it? Is it worth going through all this when the numbers don't warrant it? This is what I've been saying all along. And it's funny because now people, over time, they've been coming up to me and saying, man, you know, it's, it's really cool how much work you've put into this and, and time you spent researching this. And you've been saying this all along, and, but now, like, I understand. I see where you're coming from. It's starting to make sense. And I'm not a prophet, but I, sp I have lots of time. And I spend time researching things that are intriguing to me. And so, I don't know. I estimate that I have probably 30 or 40 hours you know, put into COVID research in the last two years. And it doesn't make me a genius or anything, but I feel like that that is some credibility that someone who scrolls through Facebook and reads the headlines and that's their format of information input, I feel like I have a leg up over them. I mean, let's just be honest. It just really, really irks me that the you have these group of politicians on both sides, you know, and they just... They think that they should be the ones to make the rules and the laws because the general public is too stupid to understand what's right and wrong and they don't know what's best for themselves. So we need a group of people that are smarter than everyone else that have evolved so far from the real world, it's not even funny. We have people making laws for the workplace that haven't been in the workplace in the last 40, 50, 60 years. Joe Biden, Joe Biden has never been in the workplace. He's been a freaking politician. You got a guy who wants to make laws and rules that affect 100% of the population that has never worked in the real world. I mean, what is wrong with us? Why do we think this is okay? How do we get to this point? We're picking people to lead us that have never held a real job. They've never struggled. They don't know what it's like to make payroll. They don't know what it's like to get a stupid, ridiculous property tax bill that they cannot afford to pay. They don't know that. And we think they're qualified. Why? 
Why is Joe Biden qualified? Joe Biden is not qualified to lead a freaking popsicle stand. He can't even hold his eyes open. He can't make decisions. He doesn't know what day of the week it is. They let reporters ask him one question, and they shuffle everyone out because they can tell by the look in his eyes that he's dazed and confused. One of these days, there will be no denying. There will be no people left who say, yeah, but he stutters. Those people are going to be gone because he's going to do something that is so stupid that there's no hiding it. And I will revel in that day. And I will say, this is what we get. We picked this guy. Well, there were some who say we didn't. I go probably more in line with that. But we have to accept the results of the, of the election. So you people are going to get who you picked. And I'm part of that, too. I realize that. That's why I'm going to laugh at it. It just pisses me off that, that we're over here. The people whose lives this, these laws affect are over here saying, we don't want that. We do not want this. We don't want, we don't want to wear your stupid mask. We don't want to be forced to get your stupid vaccine. We're done. And we have people at the top going, we must protect the workplace and the safety of the workplace. These people are not motivated by protecting protecting the safety of the workplace. They're motivated by two things, power and money, and that's it. Now, there are some people that I think have the best interest of the people at heart. There's not a lot, though. That are, there is not a lot of them. And I don't know what needs to happen, but we need to figure out how to get back to a government where the people who lead it are actual leaders. This I've been saying since po podcast number one, a hundred podcasts later, I want you to think about it. Like, why are we picking people who aren't leaders? You know a leader when you see one. You can feel it in their presence. They walk into the room and they know what they're saying and you can, you can support them. And, you know, they, they say things that make you think and they challenge you and you challenge them and they're not belittling and they don't think they're above you. That's what we need to get back to. I don't know what's going to do it, I'm hoping maybe it's something like the blockchain that, that pulls power away from central authority in its most basic form. That's what it does. And if we can resist the idiots and their plans like the metaverse and we don't get sucked into doing what they want us to do, we might be okay. But if not, we're doomed. We're doomed because the people who are getting elected, their kids will be elected and their kids' kids will be elected and it's the same people over and over again. Same connections. <laughs> you don't think Biden owes Ukraine some favors? You're about to find out. Oh, Putin, he's on the border right now with 100 Gs saying, we're about to do this. We're about to take that. Ukraine, you're about to be mine. What do you think Biden's going to do? Of course he's going to protect Ukraine. Of course. They paid his son tons of money. He's got all kinds of connections to Ukraine. I'm calling it right now. Biden is going to step in He's going to try to do something. He's going to try to get his ratings up. He's going to try to spur our economy. And he might get us in a bind. Actually, it's not going to be him. It's the people who are surrounding him, telling him what to do. <laughs> I mean, think about how nice that would be if you had control over the president. And you could make him do what you wanted him to do. And you wouldn't have to take the fall. Because that's what's happening right now. Okay. I need blood pressure to come down a little bit. I was getting <laughs> a little bit worked up. I know you know it, and that's okay, and hopefully you didn't turn me off. I'm going to shift gears a little bit, and I'm going to give you a brief glimpse into dog training. And sometimes I just have epitomes, and so I think, you know what, I'm going to talk about that. It was, I've been helping a few people um, work with their dogs lately on just basic manners, you know, sit, stay, lie down, walk on leash, all the things that you need a dog to do to, to be a productive member of society. One thing that gets kind of overlooked by the, the general public when they're training their dog is the, the importance of timing. And if you've been around someone who trains dogs a lot, you've heard them talk about timing. It's everything. It is everything. And here's why. Because dogs don't have the ability to understand what makes things work or what causes things, right? So that, let me give you an example. If a dog walks up to an electric fence and they sniff it with their nose and they touch it with their nose and it pops them, they can only assume that that shock came from that wire. They don't understand the concept of electricity and grounding and AC and DC and all that. They just know, man, whenever I touch my nose to that thing, I got shocked. And so let's just say now we'll, we'll take that example 
and changed it up a little bit. So let's pretend that the dog could touch the fence with its nose and then move away, but the shock was delivered three seconds later, right? So let's just say the dog, and I know that nothing's touching the dog, you can't shock it, but this is all hypothetical. We could, I, could, I could re-explain the whole scenario and make it more applicable, but you'll get it. So let's just say the dog's touching the fence, dog backs away, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, boom, shock happens. The dogs don't have the ability to understand that there was a delay there. They, they live in the specific moment. And this is why you hear people say, you got to catch them in the act, got to catch them in the act. You know, anytime you want to punish a dog, if you catch them in the act, it, it can work. But rubbing their face in poop doesn't work because they don't understand the concept of time. They don't, you know, you see so many videos of, the, you know, the dog has destroyed the house. The owner comes home. Who was the bad dog? Who destroyed the house? The dog's sitting over there, tail between its legs, all slumped up, face, you know, no eye contact. And they're like, see, he knew. He knew he did something wrong. No, 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 it's not the case. The case is he was trying to avoid you and your body language and your posture and your tone of voice. Because if, it, <laughs> if it's not that, it'll work and you'll fix it. But you'll learn over time that that doesn't happen. They, dogs who destroy things don't just quit destroying things. There's a reason that they're destroying things. And you either have to physically change that or figure out why and solve the problem going backwards. But they don't just quit destroying things because you came home an hour after they did it and punish them. So just think about that. Timing is the most important aspect of dog training, in my opinion. Uh, there is nothing that's more. Timing and consistency are, are the two most important things. Because if you're correcting a dog for one thing and then you don't correct it and then you correct it again, that's, that's about as confusing as you can get. Because let's just say, let's go back to the, the nose on the fence with a three-second delay, right? So the dog touches the fence, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, boom, it gets popped. It's going to look for something else to associate that correction with. So let's just say that the, you know, the dog was standing on a, on a black mat. Whenever they touch the fence, three seconds later, they get shocked. The dog's going to think, whoa, that mat shocked me. And so it creates superstitions. And because of this, people typically don't understand why they're getting a reaction out of a dog. Because it, it happened in a, in a way that the owner missed or the trainer missed and the dog wasn't capable of putting things together. I know I've kind of been talking in circles. I don't know. If any of that doesn't make sense, just remember, timing is everything. If you want to stop a dog from doing something and you want it to never do it again, set it up to catch it in the act. And if you catch it in the act and the dog spots you before you can correct it, you have about two seconds. 1,001, 1,002, correction. And outside of that window, it's not worth it. Because it won't, it'll just confuse the dog. You know, I used to have a dog that countersurf, Bentley. I still have her, bless her heart. She's not strong enough in her hind end to, to countersurf anymore. But I would come home and correct her for countersurfing, and it was long after the fact. And so she just started assuming, dang, every time he comes home, I get corrected. So I would come home, and there would be no countersurfing had taken place, and she would be slumped up and cowering, and, and, I, and that's when it all hit me. I thought, man, she's associating getting in trouble just with me coming home. And that's when it all started to make sense. So it's really unfair to the dog. If you want to stop a dog from doing something, catch it in the act, correct it, make it stop what it's doing with a punishment, but don't correct it outside that window. It'll make more sense to the dog, and then you won't feel bad when your dog feels guilty just because you came home. I would mentioned briefly somewhere back in the last 55 minutes and 44 seconds about having COVID. And I'm pretty sure I had it. I never went and got tested there, because there was no tests. You know, I didn't go to the, I actually did try to go to Walgreens. I called Walgreens. They didn't have any tests. I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not testing. So what went down, I was at a house uh, with some friends on Christmas that had COVID. One of them did. She didn't really have any symptoms. She had one day where she felt bad. So I canceled my trip to Fort Worth. I think I've talked about this already. Stayed with them. Uh, came back. Was fine for an entire week. Saturday morning, New Year's Day, I woke up. I felt hungover. And I wasn't hungover. I didn't even drink on New Year's Eve. But I felt like I'd been run over by truck. No energy. Exhausted. Just foggy. Um, I couldn't do math if you paid me. And, you know, I just took it easy all day. I drank tons of water. Ate some vitamins. A bunch of green juice. 
spent some time outside in the sun, fresh air, in the hammock, and went to bed early. And I woke up Sunday, and I was fine. I was absolutely fine by the end of the day Sunday. It kind of, I got better as the day went on. And so I'd messaged Summer, one of the, uh, my buddy's wife in Conroe, and I said, hey, did you feel hungover? And she was like, yep, exactly, just like super hungover. And she tested positive, so I thought, well, this is it. I got it. I'm done. I'm good to go. So I went back to work Monday. By Wednesday, my throat was a little scratchy, and then I had a sore throat Thursday and a little bit of a cough Friday, and then my voice still sounds like I'm sick, even to today, a week later. But I'm not. I feel fine. It's just getting over the sore throat. So that was my bout with COVID. And uh, yeah, here I am. So whether or not I had four boosters and shots and all that, who knows? You'll never know. But I'm still alive. I had it. I, I really, you know what? I regret not making shirts starting in 2021 that says, I beat COVID 2021 and then 2022. And then every year I have a new shirt. I think you would have sold them. I, I survived COVID. That's what it was going to say. I survived COVID. I survived COVID, and the stock market is at all-time highs. <laughs> all right. I think that's going to wrap up this record marathon podcast. Um, got some buddies coming over that are photographers to take a look at my backyard and maybe set up or just take notes on a little hammock photo shoot session we got coming up. I think the website's going to be worldsbesthammocks.com. I'm not sure yet. I th I've secured that one, but I'm not sure if I'm going to go with that domain or a different one. But I'm thinking that one. I'll take any input from you guys if you like that. Worldsbesthammocks.com. Um, I thought it'd be something fun to do also is give you guys a topic to research, and then next week I'll touch on it. And then that way you'll have some, some information, and I think it would help everyone understand you know, more in depth on some things I'm talking about. And maybe it would, it would motivate people to go do some of their own research because, you know, what I, what I don't want is for people to just listen to my podcast and just agree with everything I say and not even question it. You know, th that type of thing is what Fauci wants, not me. I want people to challenge my points, go do their own research, figure out why they do or don't agree with what I say, formulate your own opinions, and then be that person. Because if we want a, a truly diverse set of opinions, then everyone needs to think their their own. You don't you don't need to just mimic somebody. Now I have some guys that I listen to and I follow, and I happen to agree with them a vast majority of the time. But I also make sure that I still challenge them. If there's if I hear something or one of them says something that I don't agree with, I start digging. This has happened to Dan Crenshaw. I used to think the guy was great. My homeboy cousins, Harry and Jordan, brought some stuff to my attention, and I thought, man, I need to do some digging. I did some digging, and I was right. And now I won't vote for Crenshaw in a primary. That's just my opinion. I don't know if I've talked about it on here. Maybe I will next week. I don't know. But go do your own research. Maybe go, go figure out why, why Brandon wouldn't vote for Dan Crenshaw in a primary. Now, I would vote for him in the general election, you know, if he's running against Beta, O'Rourke, or whatever, whoever, I will vote for him. In a primary, probably not my guy. Depends on who he's running against, but he's made some decisions that I don't agree with. And just the the idea of getting away from two-party politics and just being left or right or conservative or Democrat, I don't know. I feel like we should just, just do some digging. Just figure out which topics you align on and which ones you don't. So for next week, your homework assignment is to research the Strategic Competition Act. Now, uh, this... Um, this is a, it's a proposal that, that gives subsidies to businesses, technology specifically, so that we could compete with China. Because right now we can't compete with China. And so everyone's kind of desperate to figure out what, what can we do so that we can compete with China. So go research that. It's a law that would, that would give money to tech companies in order to allow them to compete with China. Just go read the basic of it and then I will talk about it on the next podcast. I almost said next week, but I'm kind of conditioned now to, to just being honest and understanding and admitting that it's tough for me to do these every week. Things are going to change. I am sure that like by mid-March or so, hopefully, it will be every week. It will be every week, maybe even more than once a week. <laughs> I remember when I first moved back from Nicaragua and I thought, 
you know what? I'm going to do a podcast every day. I'm just going to do one every day. And then that never actually happened, not even for one week. So I'm going to quit playing pretend, but I am going to say by mid-March, I hope to be doing at least one a week, maybe two. So all 10 of you now, (laughs) maybe 12 listeners I have, we get a double dose. All right, that's going to wrap things up. I'm going to go do another podcast with my homeboy, Harry, my cousin. It's called Old Dog New Tricks. Check it out. Basically, it's like tapping into a phone call between me and Harry. I'm sure both of us have said things on there that would get us canceled, but we don't care. We're not famous enough to get canceled. So it's a little bit more off the cuff. There's not as much. There's no notes. (laughs) I don't have talking points. So a little bit more raw. No editing. Just two dudes shooting the breeze and giving you a glimpse into their brains. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there. Be brave. Ditch the mask if you don't want to wear it. Tell them you're not getting the vaccine if you don't want to get it. If you want to get the vaccine, just keep getting it to your heart's content. I am an advocate for people doing what they want to do. Teach your kids about finance. Give some money away. Find some tax loopholes. Maintain your vehicle like your grandfather would want you to. Write a letter to Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, telling them thank you. Read the Bible. And most of all, keep it tranquilo. Lord, I can't change. Won't you fly?